and welcome to Sports Maneuver Radio. Who's ready for Lisa Nucci and EJ the Brain We are now live in three, two, one. Oh, yes, we are back here at Sports Palooza Radio. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Yes, we took a little break because we had a little bit of an adventure going on in our lives here the past couple of weeks. Would you like to tell everybody where we just were, Lisa Iannucci? What's happening? How are you doing today? What's going on over there? Yeah, we actually just came back as if you've been following us. We've been in uh Green Bay. Yeah. Um, for the Packers Giants game. Ooh. We had an opportunity to stop in Milwaukee prior to heading over to Appleton, Wisconsin, where we stayed until the um you know, the game and then we came home. Uh but it was it was an incredible experience. It was something I'll never forget and um something that I don't care if you're a Packers fan or not, but there's so much history to this field and so much to look at and and just being a football fan and being on the field and or even just in the in the stadium for a game was unbelievable. Um, I want to actually take a moment to thank some people out there who helped us on our trip um, and then tell you a little bit more about it. So first of all, I'd like to thank the um, City of Milwaukee Tourism because they actually they um, helped us. Uh, with our reservations at, um, I do not know how to say this casino's name, Potawatomi um, Hotel and Casino. We stayed there. Great place, great rooms, um, absolutely immaculate. We had a lot of fun. The casino slot machines could have been a little bit friendlier to me, yes. but I'm not going to blame them for that. Uh, but the room itself was fantastic. And when we arrived, there was a nice little welcome package for me in my room, um, which basically introduced me to the things that you can see and do in Milwaukee. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about that later. But we spent that night, a first night there in Milwaukee. And then, like I said, we headed over to um, Appleton, Wisconsin. And um, we quality in in Appleton, and uh, we took care of those reservations all on our own. But I really do want to give a shout out because sometimes a lot of a lot of people might have these stereotypes about smaller chain, you know, hotels. Um, this particular quality in again was immaculate. Awesome. Um, I it's the first thing I look for, and if you don't pass that test for me, then there's seriously it's going to go downhill from that point on. So as a traveler, I absolutely want an immaculate hotel room, and they really did pass the test. So I want to thank them for a great experience there. Um, and then, of course, we, we actually, the first day that we had a chance, we drove over to Green Bay, and our intention was to go to Titletown Brewing. And on the way, we, or I should say EJ, noticed that there was something to my left. <laughs> and it was the stadium, which I did not realize how close we would be. And he has video up on his YouTube page, I think. But you can oh, yeah. see me crying, trying to drive the car because I had arrived and yeah. we had arrived. And uh, we actually, we stopped, we, we went in, and we didn't know if it was open to just walk in, and it was. So you get to walk in, you can walk around and check out the place just on your own. Um 
And then the pro shop happened. Yeah, and then the pro shop happened, oh, which is God. like 10,000 square feet. Ridiculous. It is ridiculous of every single thing that you um, My God. could want with a Green Bay Packer logo on it. And, yes, for anybody out there, yes, you do need Green Bay Packers spices. And I've joked about that before. But there's spices with the Green Bay Packer logo on it. It is incredible. And I left with a Christmas ornament because I have a hobby of, you know, whenever we go somewhere, I buy an ornament for the tree so that at the end of the year, I can see all the different places that hopefully I've had a chance to go to that year. And as the years accumulate, it brings up a lot of great memories. So I bought an ornament and I bought you know, uh, tattoos to put on my face and, you know, for the game. And um, that was, it was just a lot of fun. If you can spend a ton of money in that Packers Pro Shop. The Pro Shop is actually located right in the stadium. Um, And it's open all day. And it is open all day. And we had a chance to stay there for a while because we were on our own pace at the time. The next day we had tickets to go to the stadium tour and then to um, the Hall of Fame tour, and I want to thank actually um, the Green Bay Packer Tourism, uh, the Green Bay Tourism Bureau, because they did um, offer us some tickets to the Hall of Fame. We took care of our own tickets to the uh, stadium tour, which, okay, so I'll let EJ give you his opinion about it in a minute, being a Giants fan in, in Lambeau Field. But I can tell you that it was absolutely unbelievable to me to be walking around this stadium you go in the the boxes the the suites the the private boxes we went all the way up to the top of the roof um where the scoreboard is and everybody yells out go pack go and it's an empty field so it echoes back at you that was unbelievable yeah and then you start making your way downstairs to the players tunnel yeah and the players were actually doing interviews that day so I kind of hoped that maybe one of them would have popped out but you know that didn't happen but as you're walking through the players tunnel the guys the the tour guides put on this thing where it's like you know and here we welcome the 13 time Super Bowl champion you're walking through hearing what probably they hear as they're going on to the field. And that was incredible. And speaking of the field, that's where you end up. So during the Giants-Packers game, we were actually standing where the Giants stood for that particular game. And EJ will tell you in a second, but for me, that was a dream come true. Years ago, I said, one day I'm going to stand on the 50-yard line of Lambeau Field, not knowing about this tour, and it's unbelievable that that actually came true for me. So I have to ask you, as a Giants fan, did you have fun on this tour? Yeah, being a Giants fan has no bearing on how you enjoy this trip. Uh, I mean, you go to Green Bay, you understand it's Packer, 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 Packers, and that was cool with me. My mom was a Packer fan, so I, you know, you're a Packer fan, so I've always been kind of, you know, the Packers have always been kind of cool with me. I've never really hated the Packers at all. You know, obviously, we're in the same conference and all that. We play each other and all that. But, I, I you know, I, I don't hate the Packers by any stretch. So, it, 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 it's cool for me. It's hard to hate the Packers, you know. Well, unless you're a Vikings fan. Yeah. Part, really one, some of the best parts of the whole trip to me was, uh, you know, the first night, like you mentioned, we were at the uh, Palo Tommy Casino. And we're on the 18th floor, which is pretty much the top. And I look out of our window, and Wisconsin's playing Marquette in soccer. Right down under my window, like their their field is is. I watched most of the Wisconsin Marquette game from my window, and then I went down there a little bit and, and caught some of the game on the field. That was awesome. I seeing Wisconsin, Wisconsin play Marquette, like that, you know, me being a soccer guy that I am, 
I love that. That was cool. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just really realizing that uh, Green Bay Stadium and uh, Lambeau Field, the first reaction of you and mm-hmm. us pulling up and you just saying, oh, my God, I'm finally here. And, yeah, that was, yeah, I uh, kind of yelled that <laughs> yeah. in my own personal video that I yeah. sent to my kids. Yeah. I yelled, I'm here, yeah. because I, I really, it was it was just an unbelievable experience yeah. for me. And, and the Hall of Fame, too. I mean, yeah. that alone, you know, so I, I don't know if there's yeah. anything else you wanted to mention. No, pro shop again. My God. <laughs> I'll tell you, that pro shop is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, they had uh, some guitars up there. They actually had my flying B guitar that I love. You know, Green Bay cheese. Oh God, five hundred bucks. I was so close. Okay. I mean, I was so close. I had five hundred dollars in my wallet. Crisp one hundred dollar bills going. I, I, I might need that guitar. Probably yeah. do. <laughs> I mean, I really wanted it. But. Yeah, and I want everybody to just realize what he just said because he said cheese guitar, and yeah. and what it literally was is a V, like a you know an upside down flying V, v. Yeah. flying V. I'm not a guitar person. Yeah. But it was in the shape of a piece of cheese, yeah. and it looked like it had like holes yeah. at like the beginning of yeah. holes in it. It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. So good. And uh, of course, we got to eat some cool places. We got to meet some cool people. And oh my God, everybody we met, cool. I mean, you know, I'm walking around in my giant stuff. We just walk around our pack of stuff, and we're, we we met so many people. And obviously, the tailgating, and Lisa will tell you, yeah, yeah, Lisa will tell you. She's already smiling. I fist bumped. Every single Giant fan who walked by me, Giant Blue, Giant Blue, Giant Blue today. If you were at the Packers game and you saw some Giant fan walking around giving you a fist bump, yeah, that was me. <laughs> I fist bumped everybody walked into the building, and I'm yelling, Giant Blue! <laughs> yeah, it didn't work out, but that's all right. <laughs> hey, man, I was warm. This whole trip was more feet anyway. I just, you know, I... Happened to see the Giants, so it was fun, too. Obviously, you get, you get to see a Giant game on the road. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I expected to lose that a little bit, although we did cover the spread, and that was all I could ask for in that game. But, uh, yeah, that, that was about as much fun as you can have in the state of Wisconsin. I was so upset to know that uh, college football game day was actually in Wisconsin, like, two days after we left. Now, we would have stayed there. I would have loved to have gone to the Wisconsin uh, game day and watched Lee Corso put on the hat and all those crazy Kirk Herb Street because we, uh, we obviously do a college football podcast of our own over at getmoresports.com and check out what me and Eric do over there. Uh, our, we're scheduled for Friday. Every Friday we do a podcast and we give out college football betting advice. We have a blast doing that. We had Adam Green on last week with us as well. He's a writer over at Get More Sports. He covers a bunch of college football and pro football, so it was nice to have all three of us together again. Um, all three of us did the bowl games last year as well. So, And, uh, you know, this week, uh, if you checked out the right here on our network, you saw Into the Cosmos podcast. We had Danny Zatella on the show. And uh, it was great to have Danny on. Danny is pretty cool, and that's uh, his first appearance of the year, so we're thankful to have Danny on this week. And, yeah, Cosmos stuff's going good. Well, we'll be at that Cosmos game on Saturday. It's our last home game of the regular season at Short Stadium. Man, you know, I even mentioned on the air this week during the Cosmos game, I've been to Short Stadium 16 times. I've been to 24 Cosmos games in my life, but I've been to six Short Stadium 16 times, and the Cosmos are 16 and oh, They haven't even lost a damn game I've been to. I, I love that. <laughs> I, yeah, you know, obviously it has nothing to do with me. What, 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 why, why would they win because I'm there? I, I have no idea what, 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 or what causes all that to happen, but 
man, when I go to the Cosmos games, they win. Even some of the players know it. The coaches know it. The organization know it. Uh, yeah, DJ, you're the street going today. I know. You know I'm here. <laughs> so, yeah, looking forward to Saturday. The last Cosmos game to stadium before the playoffs start. Uh, man, of course, baseball playoffs. Cleveland's in the World Series. Seeing the Cubs and Dodgers tied it, too. I guess the Dodgers are going to save Kershaw for game six because that's going to be the bigger game. Obviously, game five can't decide anything. It's just going to give somebody a 3-2 lead, so uh, Dodgers just decide to let Kershaw start game six because that will be the game that matters. I mean, the hardware will be in the building. And when the hardware is in the building, you want to make sure your best pitcher is on the mound, so I don't blame them for saving Kershaw for game six. And, uh, of course, hockey's starting. Casey's doing all his hockey over at GetMoreSports.com again. Uh, of course, you all know Casey Bryant. He and I hosted the hockey podcast right here on Sports Blizzard Radio last year. And, uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's everything I have going on. I know we have our guest calling in here pretty Yeah, it looks like we have our guest on the line. And, uh, yeah, that's it for me. Yeah, and um, speaking of our guest, before we get to him, um, we just want to also welcome our two guests that are going to be here today, let you guys know a little bit about our show. We talked a lot about Green Bay. Um, and for the record, um, let's just stress that when, when EJ and I were sitting in the stadium during the game, I like telling the story. Um, he turned around and he's like, well, I'm in the building today, so you got to watch out, honey. And I said to him, yeah, but I'm in the building today too. So let's yeah. state for the record that when I am at a um, Packers game at yeah. Lambeau Field, they are 1-0 one and, one and, oh. and the Giants are 0-1. Oh oh there you go. So there you go. Enjoy. I'll, Enjoy. Take, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. So we want to welcome, uh, we have two guests today Great and the first one yeah because you know it's it's the first uh guest that's coming on is uh Deshaun Qureshi and oh, he is a cricket player we're gonna actually bring him in in just a second yeah but I have to be honest this is going to be an interesting conversation for me because I don't know a lot about cricket and You're that's actually alone. yeah and and EJ doesn't know a lot about cricket yeah. but we wanted to actually have him on because that's the whole point yeah is that Cricket is rising in the United States in terms of people watching it. And it's one of the oldest sports on our planet. And, like, no one, uh, you know, no one plays it. If you would call up to any 100 Americans and said, do you like cricket, I I guarantee a a couple would say yes. And then those same couple people would say, well, I don't really understand it. Right. But I like it. Okay, so you don't really get it. You know, you think, well, it's kind of like baseball, right? No. Well, well, yeah, but, but no. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's 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 a it's a strange game, and especially for all of us here who know baseball so well. Right. And then you think, well, I, I know they have a bat, they have a ball, they they pitch, but there's not a strike zone. There's these three things standing there that the pitchers try to hit. Yeah, it, it can be complicated. I've actually watched cricket and still sat here going, wait, what? How, what, what? What's a and a, and a, and a and an over and an under and an out? Yeah. And, a, and it's amazing. And there's you know a lot of turns. You know those words in a totally different way, exactly. too. So why don't we do that? Why don't we? Um, why don't I open up uh, Sean's um, nice. mic nice. and welcome him to Sports Food nice. Radio. So Sean, are you with us? Hey. Are you there? Yeah. Is Sean, is that you? Hello. All right. We are hoping that that is Sean Koreshi on the phone. Sean, is that you? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you can just hear you fine, man. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm great. How are you guys? Oh, we are great, man. Obviously, you know, we're having you on the show this week to discuss the U.S. Open that's coming up here pretty quick that you're going to be taking the part of Thanksgiving here in Florida. And how cool is that, man? Have you been to Central Broward Regional Park before? Because that park is beautiful. Uh, 
Actually, I grew up playing cricket in Florida, so I've been playing at that park since its, its inauguration in 2008. And every yeah. year that stadium gets better and better as more events happen. This year, I saw it in June where they played uh, two professional matches there from the Caribbean. And I'm so looking forward to playing there this year as the stadium's at its best it's ever been. Yeah, that that cricket stadium is actually the only international cricket council. That, that's the only stadium in the United States that's actually approved to host these kind of events, right? Yes, it's um they they got approval and they made this stadium so nice. Every time a professional player comes here, they compliment how great of a stadium it is because they just don't expect cricket to be like that in America, and that stadium just changes people's perception of the game here. Yeah. And that stadium holds a lot of events, not just cricket. That that they they have that place is huge, just uh, one. I mean, that place has a lot of events going on. I love the setup. I saw the pictures that they have set up when when cricket's being played there, and it looks gorgeous. Uh, just one. It looks gorgeous, man. <laughs> it does. It does. Um, and it's great because we share it with uh, football club Barcelona. They do a lot of training there, so it's just to know that I share a stadium with. A team that big is great. Yeah, there's a guy named Lionel Messi that some people might have heard of. Yeah, he's pretty good, man. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah pretty good. Really yeah, good. So, yeah. <laughs> like the best in the world. Yeah, that's but... cool. I mean, he is arguably the best in the world. I arguably, Ronaldo, yeah, obviously. of course. Yeah, arguably. Uh, Ronaldo's okay, but Ronaldo has an ego that, that Messi doesn't. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's what separates Messi, man. He's classy. You know, that's that's a mouthful. He's great, man. Yeah, and uh, so this Thanksgiving weekend, you guys are putting on a big event here. Uh, let, let's talk a bit about it because this is a big thing. Obviously, Facebook has their promotions going out. There's a lot of promotions about this this event going on, and it's supposed to be this supposed to be fifteen thousand people showing up to this. Uh, this song. that's pretty cool. Yeah. So basically, uh, the tournament's been going on since two thousand nine, but this year they've changed the format of the tournament, and it's really attracted a lot of attention. What they did was. They created. They tried to model the NFL in a way with building franchises and having each team have six overseas professionals and multiple players from across the U.S. So it really like raised the level of competition, and it gives us an opportunity to see where we stand against some of the best players in the world. So cricket is growing, they say, in the United States. There's more people watching it. There's more people, um, you know, compared to years back. What's the the love of the sport about? I mean, I don't know a lot about cricket, and EJ and I have both confessed to that. We don't know a lot about this particular sport. Yeah, we don't. So why would we as newbies want to be interested in cricket? What's the love of the sport? For us, it's a pastime. It's... It's a really old sport, as you guys know. I heard you say earlier, it's one of the oldest sports in the world. And the thing is, it's a sport that really it really adjusts to the people who watches its need. Like, nowadays, cricket, cricket used to go on for five days, and it was a sport no one really wanted to watch because they were like, wait, five days, no one has time to see this. And now with it ending in three hours, it really gives – a lot of excitement. People just you see a ball fly out of the stadium, and you're just like it's it's like seeing a home run. You just want to see balls fly everywhere, and that's what this U.S. Open is about. The entertainment it brings with 
the competition and like the fast pace with how fast paced it is nowadays, it really brings a lot of excitement. And that's really like that adrenaline that it brings is what people want to see. So that's what gives it that edge. Yeah, man. You know, and a lot of people obviously, uh, you know, this, this on a lot of people compare this to baseball because that's what Americans really know. And they see cricket and they think, well, it sure looks like baseball, but it certainly is nothing like baseball. I think that's where the confusion comes in because a lot of people want to love cricket, but it's obviously nothing like baseball. So I think it throws people off because obviously in America, man, you know, baseball is baseball. And now you guys yeah, are baseball's to baseball. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it really is. So so to create a new sport, that's actually, I'm not not creating a new sport, obviously, but, but to, you know, to have something yeah, promote, like similar to another sport, sport, yeah, it's going to be tough to yeah. grow a sport that we already have something similar like it. I mean, obviously, in India, Pakistan, and England, you know, the tests that you mentioned go on for days upon a time, man. And, uh, you know, that, that stuff, I, I like that stuff. I actually think that that's really cool if they play for, like, three, four days at a time. I think that's actually yeah. pretty cool. Basically, you know, the thing is, even though baseball is here, sometimes I feel like it's kind of like you need a change in sports you watch, and cricket adds more, like, sports culture to our country. And the fact that it's growing nowadays is really great because you have more of an opportunity to explore different sports. If you, you if baseball season isn't running, you have something else to watch. If football season isn't running or if your favorite team's not playing, you can always flip around and watch a different sport. So it really adds yeah. to our sports culture here in the U.S. Yes, Sean, and, and we're talking about, you know, the NFL and college football and all the things that are already here, but there's so much negative going on with all these sports right now with, with how athletes are being treated, how athletes are, are treating the game itself with, you know, people kneeling and during the anthems and all that kind of stuff. So I think that, that Americans are actually going to start looking for more sports to be into because they don't have time for the egos and all the stuff that goes on in our major sports here, because there's none of that in cricket, man. You don't hear about that stuff in cricket with people. Being exactly. Your, your, your sport is not, just not there yet, which is great. I, I think that, that it needs more attention. I, I love cricket, man. I love watching it. I wish I understood it better. I think that's the biggest part of why it hasn't totally latched on yet, because people are so in baseball that they don't know the cricket rules, and it's tough to understand if you don't know the rules, obviously. Uh, even me, uh, growing up trying to learn the sport, I was in in school. All I learned about was soccer, baseball, football. So trying to learn the rules of the game and how it worked, it took me months. And that's the biggest problem to try and to try and communicate that to the people here. They don't have. They don't want to spend three, four months trying to learn how to watch a sport. They want to just be able to flip on the TV and be like, "Oh, look, he hit a home run. Great." So yeah. that's the biggest problem, but go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, sir. I was just saying, but, you know, as as the sport becomes bigger, more people are going to pick it up quicker, and then a lot more people, once a few people pick it up, they'll tell their friends about it, and then slowly more people will start watching it. Yeah, hopefully. And there's, there's a pretty big prize, uh, prize pool for this uh the upcoming events is Sean. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at a hundred thousand dollars in prize money, and that's that's not normal. Like I, I understand that you guys don't normally have a contest that give out this kind of prize money. So there, there is more on the line than just having some fun here. That, that's a lot of money, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
that's why this tournament has gained so much attention in the past two, three years because that 100,000 cash prize. We play Cricket in America is a weekend sport. You play one, one day a week, you go back to work, and that's it. Now the younger kids who are playing cricket these days have a chance to win $100,000. Everyone's like, they're going to the gym every day, trying to practice every day. It's really getting a lot more people involved in the sport and having them put more time into the sport, which is great for us because it gives us a chance to get our game onto a level where we can compete with people who are from India, Pakistan, England. And it can it gives us a chance to potentially put ourselves, America, on the map as a cricket country. And, and you just walked me into my question, man. That, that's a great segue to this question. What, how? Do you guys survive? Obviously, if there, you know you don't have leagues, there aren't there aren't cricket leagues in America yet. Like obviously, you must have to go abroad to try and make a living. Making a living as a cricket player is not obviously as easy as making seven million dollars in the NFL for kicking a football. No, it's just Sean. <laughs> so making making exactly. a living as a cricket player has got to be one of the biggest challenges out there right now, too. No. In America, right now. You can't make a living. It, you just simply can't make a living playing cricket. You can make a few thousand dollars here and there, potentially when we have tournaments such as this U.S. Open. Right. right. However, if if you develop your game to a next level and try to make a living out of it, yeah, you have to go to England. You have to go to India, Pakistan, Australia, countries where they put more money into the game. And that's really the thing. Going forward for America to – match those levels they have to find investors who are willing to take a loss and put funnel more money into cricket right now for a potential right. gain later on yeah i'd like to see a few leagues that would be great to see you know like 10 teams in a league playing playing other teams all over the country that would be that'd be great to sean i'd love to see that but uh, you know i want to ask you I, about your experience in, i want to hold on i want to ask you about your experience with guyana and the amazon warriors now, obviously, you got, to hung, you got to hang out with them last year in their Premier League and just kind of take part and be a part of all that. You didn't get to really play much, which is – I'm sure you practiced with them and got on the field. I know you're going to be playing with them next year in 2017. You have plans to kind of be hanging out with them again and maybe take part in all that? Yeah, so I got, to, I got the opportunity after uh, finishing my summer semester at college to train with them, travel with them, spend two weeks with them, and just learn as much as I could. And it was great, you know, I got to practice with them and I really I really got a part of the team. I really gelled well with the players and the management nice. and they asked me to come back for a second year. So hopefully next season I get to play a few games and it was great. This year it was the first time we had three Americans who participated in the Caribbean League. Uh we got to all of us got to hang out with the teams that we were a part of, practice with them and just really learn the difference of uh, the difference in cricket from America and how it's actually played at the professional level. Yeah, man. I wanted to ask you about your background because how did you get into the sport and then why choose this sport, one that had more of a difficult future versus going the, the route of baseball or a different sport where you had the opportunity, uh, just a lot more opportunities. Definitely. So, Growing up, I actually played soccer, and well, yeah. in middle school, playing soccer, I got injured. I uh, I was slide tackling a striker and got cleated. I tore my growth plate, and well, my fa- my father's from Pakistan, so during rehab, while I was getting better, I would watch him play cricket a lot, 
And as I learned the sport, I kind of just kept playing to spend time with him. And then later on, it became more of just not, it became less of spending time with him and more of just trying to get better. As I started to enjoy the sport more, and it caught my interest. I wanted to put more time. I wanted to become better at it. Even though it wasn't that popular, it was some, It was different. It was something different. It was something I found cool. And I just felt coming back, I was like, it's a fresh start. My knee's getting better. I can play cricket. Let me try and learn this sport. So that's that's how I got involved. Um, I, that's cool. It was... And Go ahead. It was. I was just saying it was different because... Though my dad's from Pakistan, my mother's from Ireland, and my mother's an Irish-American, and cricket's not a thing for... I mean, nowadays, cricket's a thing in Ireland, but cricket's not really a thing there for them. So yeah. she was she doesn't even watch me. Growing up, she was like, okay, what's cricket like? Okay, you're playing. I was like, you want to watch me play, Mom? She's like, I don't know what's going on. No, I'm fine. <laughs> so growing up, it was a little... It was funny. It was interesting. But, yeah, the sport was different, and that's what really caught my attention in playing the sport. Okay, so I'm just like your mom. I'm like, uh, okay, I don't know. I don't get it. So, so here's what I want you to do for our listeners, because I, I love this interview, but I really would just like to give a very quick overview of what cricket actually is and how do you win. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Nice. And I just okay, heard so, you guys play for days, and I thought that was amazing. So I'd like to know a little more about that too. I'll explain. I'll explain the objective of the game in the three-hour version that we'll be playing in U.S. Open. Basically, right? how okay. cricket works. Instead of for, I'll try and use some references from baseball. Hopefully, I don't confuse too many people. But in my experience, it's the easiest way for me to explain the sport. In baseball, you guys have nine innings and three outs. The way we do it is each team has one innings, but we get ten outs. So the way that works is everyone on the team has to hit. Whether you're a pitcher or a fielder, you have to hit. To hit as many possible, uh, score as many possible runs as you can in the amount of pitches there are in that innings. And what we do is, since it's not nine innings, it's uh, nine innings, it's one inning, we put all the pitches into one inning. So you'll throw 120 pitches in an innings. Let's say the team makes hits 80, scores 80 runs off 120 pitches because our, our run count, which is the most complicated thing in the game, is the biggest difference because we don't have three bases. We only have two, which is a back right. and forth. But the thing is we have – what we do is we have a guy who's hitting and a guy who's not hitting. He's a runner. So the guy who's hitting will hit the ball he'll run to the other the base and the guy at the other base will run to the other base and that's how they score one run. And wow. potentially those two guys can hit the entire game until they get out because we don't have three strikes. We have the three sticks and you're out if the ball hits that or if a person in the outfield catches the ball. So all it takes is one one stick to fall and yeah, those you little, miss, little uh, you miss one hit you hit, if you miss one hit and it hits those sticks, you're done. There's no three strikes. So and, and now, now, I see, now obviously game. I see. Oh, I was gonna ask Deshaun. I was gonna ask you about ground balls too, because obviously we see ground balls go through the infield, and as long as the outfield plays the ball cleanly, is is that something? That, and they have to get the ball back in. Yeah. I, 
so they, once you if you clear the infield, it gets into the outfield. You can run back and forth multiple times until that ball is clearly thrown back to the catcher. Nice. Nice. Yeah, it looks fun, man. It looks crazy watching the two guys run back and forth towards each other, towards each other, and towards each other, just going back and forth. To, to, to two and bases. in the beginning, it, <laughs> if, if you don't know about the scoring difference, that's what makes it really confusing because you just see two guys running back and forth. You're like, well, when does this end? Yeah. I mean, you know, with, with, with wickets and, and all the different scores, because there are, there are different things that, that, that get calculated along the way as well. Like there are statistics that are happening for each player in the field, for each player at bat. Like they keep statistics just like they do for baseball, but there are different types of uh, statistics. So it's, it's actually kind of cool. <laughs> they even actually, in some tournaments, they measure your heart rate while you're fielding to see how each player takes pressure. Wow. They will put, I'm like, thinking, Gatorade wow. monitors on you. Yeah. And, and wow. like I said, being a newbie for me, <laughs> uh, just basically, ba- just based on the explanations, it sounds much faster paced than regular American baseball, yeah. which a lot of my friends who used to watch baseball years yeah. ago, I used to say, why don't you watch it anymore? And they're like, it's too slow. And cricket yeah. sounds like it's much faster and probably would be a lot more fun to enjoy in that respect, you know? Three-hour game that's now being now the biggest version of cricket across the world. It's, it's so fast-paced that you never know what's going to happen. In the matter of one pitch, the whole game could change because their best hitter could get out in the first pitch and then their team's moral drops and the whole game's changed. Wow, awesome! Game. It, it does, uh, and I'm I'm thankful that I have a lesson today on yeah. this because I'm actually tune in a little more. Yeah, we're gonna watch. And that was the goal of having you on today yeah. is really to introduce to our listeners a little bit more about a sport that we honestly have not really covered yeah. at all. So you know, we want to wish you the best of luck yeah. at this tournament. And like we sure. told everybody, it's coming up in November. It's slated for November 24th to the 27th at Central Broward Regional Park and Stadium oh. in Lauder Hill, Florida. So if you're close by and have an opportunity to get oh. tickets to get over there, Go. do that. And, um, Sean, is there anything that you wanted to say or let people know how they can reach you or follow you if you have Twitter or anything like that? Yeah, first I just wanted to say if you can't make it, you can watch it online at maqtv.com. Also, oh, nice. it will be uh, played on ESPN3. Nice. And Very then for cool. pers- if you want to if you want to follow me personally, I have an Instagram and a Facebook and my handles are the same for both. It's zshawnq, z i s h a w n q and you can follow me and I'll post updates throughout tournament when I'm playing with what's going on nice. with my team personally. Oh, I'm following. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to follow you, man. I, I, you know, I'm, you're still young, man. I mean, you're 19 years old. You have a long career ahead of you. So, yeah, I'm going to follow you, man, and I'm going to make sure that you be the star that you – we all hope you are going to be, man. That's cool. You have a long future, man. Good luck with the retirement. Stay healthy and Thank you. You know, put, on a good, put on a good performance at, uh, in Thanksgiving this uh, next, next month. Definitely. Good that's, luck the rest that's of the way. my goal. We play to yeah, entertain, man. so hopefully Very I cool. can – let people have some fun watching me play and put on a show. Excellent. Excellent. Sounds good. Thank you so much for being here. And, uh, you know, down the road, come on back and talk to us tomorrow. Yeah, man. It's my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me on the show today.
Thank you. So All right. Have a good week. So cool. You too, guys. Right. Take care. Thanks. Thanks a lot, man. That is so cool. I'm it's, sorry, cricket. You know, we haven't talked about cricket here yet. I mean, we've been on this no. air. What this is our fourth year on the air, and we haven't discussed a bit of cricket. I mean, no. not even. A, I mean, the only thing that the, the, the crickets we've ever heard of you and me not talking to each other for a second, and the crickets in the room. But yeah. Wow. You know, that was educating. Too. Yeah. It wasn't educating. And if you remember the movie Million Dollar Arm, um, what, it, cricket plays a big part in that it because the, the baseball player that they ultimately get and bring over was a cricket superstar. Yeah. And that really, I think, helped the cause of the sport to be introduced here because even though you see it in bits and pieces on ESPN or, or you know, other channels as you're going around, particular movie I think really helped. Now I don't know if there are any other movies that focus on um cricket and, and the sport, um, you know, in, in any of the sports films. But that one did it for me because I thought that was super interesting yeah. and didn't really like I said, didn't really know a lot about it. Love so it. when the opportunity came up to promote something that the Cricket Council USA um has been working on definitely took it as an opportunity. So, yeah. um, so again, we want to thank uh, Deshaun for coming on. And in the meantime, um, we're going to turn our attention to a different sport, hey. uh, which is football. A man's sport. Well, right. let's take the younger boys. Yeah. We're going <laughs> to talk amateur football um, and high school football. High school football yeah. And uh, we have the author of the book, Tackling Dummies, Playing Amateur Football Smarter, on the phone, and that is Bobby Vernon, and I'm hoping that this is him. Bobby, is that you? Yeah. Yeah, that's me. Bobby Vernon, man. How are you doing today? What's happening? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Hey, man, we're cool. Thanks so much for joining us this week, man. I would love the book. Uh, you know, man, great, great stuff. Obviously, you've gotten some great feedback about it, and that's kind of where Thank I want you. to start with you, man. Tell us, tell us about some of the feedback that you got. I mean, you, you put this book out there. I imagine a bunch of parents were like, you know, thank you. This is great advice. I mean, I, I, obviously the feedback you're getting is probably pretty good. Yeah, it's uh, it's really been tremendous. Uh, the You know, some of the things that I bring up in the book are, you know, a bit controversial, uh, I think. And, you know, football is such a, you know, it really is America's game. And, uh, uh, you know, I wasn't sure exactly how it was going to be received. And I'm... Uh, just real thankful that uh you know all the parents coaches that have read it have come back to me and uh and really have thanked me uh, actually for for bringing up a lot of these aspects of safety and culture and you know how we can improve the sport yeah man and you know we talk about is football safe um is football safe because we're talking about you you mentioned cycling and skiing and all the accidents that go on there and the hundreds of accidents and deaths that happen in, in something you think would never you know, have a stat like that, and yet football is looked upon as like, oh, my God, all these concussions and all these problems and all these injuries. You know what? It happens everywhere anyway. Uh, granted, you know, the NFL is a, obviously a physical impact sport, but, man, injuries happen anywhere. I, you know, and, and obviously there are other things that could cause major injuries. It's not just football, and protecting yourself is a big thing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the points that I, I try to, to make early on in the book is that, you know, I think football has gotten a bad rap because oh, yeah. there are really two types of, and specifically, let, let's be honest, head injuries have really been the, you know, the, the, the okay. headline news um, over the last five, seven years or so. And uh, I think one of the problems is that historically we haven't really separated out uh, intentionally caused concussions from yeah. accidental ones. 
right? And so whether you're a skier or a soccer player, a uh, basketball player who maybe you bang heads with another player or you, you hit a tree or you fall off your bike, all of those concussions are really the result of an accident. Whereas in football, uh, while we do have accidents, players do fall down, players do accidentally collide heads together, unfortunately, historically, there have been a number of helmet-to-helmet collisions that uh, uh, that were not accidents. They were either done because the, the player was using his head intentionally uh, 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 to gain an advantage, or he was targeting an opponent's head. And I think what, what, what I wanted to what, what I hope to do with, with the book and some of the tackling techniques that we've introduced is to, is to address the latter issue, the intentionally caused concussions. And like you said, accidents are going to happen, whether it's – you can walk down the street, down an icy street, and slip and fall and, and, yeah. and hit your head. Um, <laughs> and I don't think it's fair to you know, condemn football for, for the accidental ones, but I do think it's fair to take a look at the intentionally caused uh, concussions and say, hey – what can we do to try to mitigate that? Yeah. You know, I I know we've talked a lot here about concussions, oh, and yeah. I definitely want to continue this conversation. But as a mom, I actually I want to ask you about this because it, it's a little off topic here, but we we can jump back to concussions in a second. We can do whatever we want. I, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> sure. sure. Um, so, but I'm a mom of three, and I have a son, and when he was younger, um, just like – I grew up in sports, and my brothers grew up in sports. My first inkling was to put him into sports. So we started off with flag football, and, um, you know, he had a great time. I mean, I thought, this is terrific. This is a sport. He loves watching it on TV, you know, um, and he loves playing it. So let's continue. So he did two years of flag football, and then it came time to do um, contact football and peewee, you know, and peewee. And what bothered me and the reason why I stopped was because I felt, and I think this kind of relates and I'll explain how, is because they started working these kids in August in 90, 95-degree heat with all of this equipment on for hours at a time, peewee, young kids. And I thought, you're starting them off already overworking them in the heat it took him three days before he's like, Mom, this is just too hot. I don't yeah. want to do this. So you're already setting them up for having to, to go extreme, which kind of led into the extreme hit, the extreme practices, the extreme this, the extreme that. Don't you think it starts even younger, like right at Wee, right when they, the kids are getting learning contact sports, that something needs to be done there yeah, uh, absolutely. And and what I what I do in the book is I I try to take it chronologically. I mean, we it's it is all about amateur football because you know so many books out there are about professional football, right? And yet only I think less than 2000 players are on active NFL lists where you've got another 3 million or so playing at the high school and youth levels. So I've spent my time there and I I tried to chronologically go through the book starting with youth, then touching on high school and then getting into college and at that peewee youth level, I mean, here in, in South Florida, I mean, we have what's called as a, a super peewee league. Um, and they'll start strapping on helmets, uh, you know, pretty much, you know, you're not even that great at walking. And, uh, and, they're, uh, and they're putting you in a helmet and shoulder pads. And, 
and yeah, I, I personally believe that uh, that it is too much at that age. Um, and but one of the things I mentioned, you know, I, I think for many people it's sort of obvious that hey, it's probably not a good idea for our young child to be, you know, banging heads with another child at this age. But that hasn't that argument really hasn't changed anything. You still have these super peewee leagues. You still have these six, seven, eight-year-olds going out and playing tackle football. So I tried to come at it from another way, which is to say that in addition to, you know, putting your child potentially at risk for a head injury, um, yeah. I, as a football coach, actually believe you're not improving your skills at all by playing tackle football at that age, that there are much better much more productive ways to to spend your time, whether it's playing flag football or, or whether it's simply throwing the football down at the local park or playground and playing with your friends. Yeah, man. And I yeah, think, I mean, you're I think more of that needs to be, I mean, uh, there's so many skills that uh, kids are coming, you know, getting to, to me at the high school level, and I'm surprised that, uh, you know, the, the kids aren't going outside as much. I mean, that's a, that's a whole other kind of topic, yeah. right? Kids aren't on the playground as much as they were probably in our in our day. So they're playing yeah. less, they have less experience, uh, and they get to high school, and they may have played 8, 10, 12 years of tackle football, but to be honest with you, they still have a hard time catching a football or even throwing yeah. one, right? They might be a big, fast, strong kid, but uh, they're, they, oftentimes I find that they lack in the most basic uh, of, of, uh, of football skills. Yeah, and you mentioned in the book too, man. Uh, organized football for kids who are five years old. I mean, you, you know, you, 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 they haven't even learned how to run a pattern. They haven't learned how to block, how to do anything. And then they put Correct. these pads and helmets on it, and then they completely get distracted again because all they want to do is either figure out how to hit someone or avoid being hit. And it, it changes. You you lost everything. You, you you haven't taught anybody anything yet. So how are you putting pads and shoulder and all this stuff equipment on kids who don't even know one thing about the game yet? That, that makes Absolutely. no sense to me, man. Yeah, no, and I agree. And I also think that in smaller uh, team formats, when you're playing five-on-five, five, such as flag football or six-on-six, seven-on-seven, it's a lot easier yeah. to teach the things for, for kids to, to learn pursuit angles, to learn leverage, to learn other concepts, that when yeah. they are old enough, and I, and I do believe in the merits of tackle football, don't get me wrong, I, this book of is course. certainly not an attack on, on tackle football. I just do think that we need to make certain changes to make the game safer, and one of those things is, you know, have kids, uh, you know, learn these skills, practice these techniques uh, uh, in other ways so that when they get to middle school and they're at that 11, 12, 13 years old, that's when uh, they'll be much better served at the time they put on the helmet. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that if they had continued flag football for a few more years, um, my son would, would have definitely continued it and, and learned a lot more because that, that intensity was kind of taken down a little bit and he got to enjoy the game a little bit more. And there's a fear. You know? and there's, there's a fear. There, there is. is a fear. And, and I have to, you know, I, there's a couple times during this interview with you, I'm actually going to read a paragraph of your book, because, if you don't mind. But sure. I, and the first one actually comes from the, the, the first chapter, because we're not only talking about the, how the game is for when they're younger, but also the mentality of the crowd, which I thought, and, and mm-hmm. what these kids are hearing. And, and you had the experience yeah. when you wrote the first chapter, and you said, I decided to check out the game taking place on the main field as the cheers from the sideline are both loud and intense. 
on the field is a mob of extremely small players, some of whom appear barely able to hold up their heads under the weight of their helmet. Our sideline team has the ball, and the fans are going nuts. Stick that bitch, I hear. Move your sorry ass. I mean, and those were just some of the comments. And they're little kids, and we're subjecting that to them. And I think that, you know, were you, like, how did you get past that and, and still say, you know what, I want to be part of this sport and I want to be able to do something about it, you know, is that kind of what triggered you to say things need to change? Yeah, I mean, when I when I grew up playing the game, I mean, certainly football was intense. I started playing when I was 10, uh, had a great uh, youth football experience, uh, played football at a pretty competitive high school, and then was fortunate enough to go on to a small college program. But I think what helped me kind of, take a different view of the the sport of football today was having spent about 20 years away from the game, you know, starting a family, you know, starting businesses, doing other things, so that when I came back to it, both as a high school coach as well as when my son decided to start playing, which was exactly the same time that my son started playing uh, uh, Pop Warner football, uh, I could see, wow, this is, uh, you know, the culture has changed the the sport has has changed and you know some of it for the good i mean there there are more penalties today uh for targeting uh there you know kids i i do believe there's a large segment of the coaching population that does uh make sure they do not teach kids to use helmets as weapons uh so that's that's good uh but a lot of it uh not so good that kids still are uh uh, they're practicing at these young ages. They're banging heads at these young ages. Uh, there's still the culture of the vicious hit over the sound tackle. Uh, and, yeah, you know, watching those things from the sideline with my son, I mean, I found it somewhat humorous, and I, I tried to put these, integrate these stories in uh, because, uh, uh, you know, a textbook on football I think might might be a little bit boring, and I, I wanted to, to write something that, that if I was reading it that I would hope hopefully find entertaining and uh uh there i'll tell you uh, you know here in miami we have a uh i mean it's just a, a, a tremendous amount of, of of entertaining material to work with at the uh i mean yeah. football down here is really a, a, a religion so uh yeah um uh i actually so borrowed you, you... go ahead go ahead oh, i was uh, just going to say actually there were a couple of paragraphs in there as well that kind of spoke to uh, the, the 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 tough culture of, of football here. I, there was a great book by uh, Robert Powell, uh, who I quoted a couple of times. Uh, he writes a scene at the end of he's, he basically follows a youth football team for a whole season, and and that team is playing in the playoffs. Uh, in fact, I have a number of kids on my high school team who played uh, for that youth football team. And in that game, a playoff game, uh, right at the end of the game, they're in overtime, back and forth, back and forth. And one team seems to get the upper hand, and the next thing you know, gunshots ring out from one of the end zones. And so the referees go to call the game, and everybody, the coaches, the crowds, the parents, just pounce on the referees saying, there's no way you're calling this game. And they actually ended up finishing that football game in spite of the yeah. fact that there was an active shooter uh, on, on the yeah. grounds who who was being uh, wrestled into the into the yeah. dirt. and. It's funny, I, the, the guy writes beautifully, he says, uh, the police report won't contain the shooter's motivation, but everybody in the crowd already knows 
that he had his money on the wrong team. So you got yeah. you know betting in in youth football, and it's just uh, you know the, the number of things that I think need to uh, need to change. Yeah, man. And wow. you, you're talking about the Palmetto and Ghouls game that you have mentioned in your book, and that's uh, yeah, that's outrageous, man. I'm sorry. Someone's running yeah. around the, the end zone, and I, I'm sorry, I'm leaving. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't even care if they're going to call a game or not, man. I'll, I'll see you. <laughs> Let me know. Um, yeah, and, and this really, and this led you to the next part of your book, the, the, the money effect, man. And not, not yeah. just the betting stuff, but you're talking about the parents and then the NCAA violations that go on and on. And Bobby, we know this country is in hella high water, man, when it comes to violations in the NCAA. Oh, my God, man. And you, sure. you, you barely even covered it. You barely even covered it. Bobby barely yeah. even covered it. All, all of us know you're a coach, man. You know you see it. You experience it. You know more than me. Um, yeah. This is extreme, man. Uh, and it's a shame that it's gotten to the point where the NCAA will actually just be like, you know what? We've seen so much of this at, at this point. Do what you got to do. We don't even care anymore. Uh, it's just, and yeah. that's that's really where it's going to fall apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it is a shame. And 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 uh, I, you're right. I, I don't touch. Uh, my, you know, there's one chapter dedicated to college football. Uh, because yeah. I personally believe there's one key thing that the NCAA could do tomorrow if it wanted to, and I guarantee all the schools would follow suit. And that is to say, listen, you know, if you if you offer you, you can offer these kids uh, an extra two years of scholarship that can be used exclusively yeah. for study, and if they yeah. did that, it would completely change uh, the landscape of college football. And it would be an easy yeah. thing. Obviously, universities are balking because of costs and all that stuff. But uh, given the value that these football programs bring into those universities, that is a drop in the bucket. And, uh, I, you know, I hope, um, I hope one day the NCAA will see that and, uh, uh, and make that change. Because if they don't, I think the arguments for paying players uh, just become that much louder uh, and harder to ignore. And the reality is, in my opinion, if you start playing the pl- paying the players, you now have a competitive league to the NFL. We've already tried alternative yeah. professional football leagues, whether it's the XFL or you know the what was the other one, the, um, uh, the USFL. USFL. Uh, we've already tried that, and those have failed. And uh, and I think it's the, the the fact that these are unknown athletes playing for an education makes college football such an awesome, awesome game. Uh, and if you take that away by turning the kids into employees of the university, uh, I think it's the beginning of the end of that sport. Yeah, and then the Catch-22 comes in, well, we're playing this game, and you, you're, we, we put, you, know, you go to Tennessee, Rocky Top, man, they put 105,000 people in those stands, uh, yep. pretty good revenue, and yeah. the kids see none of that. But yet the schools see some of that, so the kids actually do see some of that. It's a real weird Catch-22 because – you think, well, the kids don't see any of that money. Well, you know what? Their practice facility just got a $5 million upgrade. Where do you think that money came from? So, yeah, they didn't get paid, but your facilities are phenomenal right now. Um, you know what? I want to talk to you about your last chapter here, Bobby, Chapter 10. And right before you get into Chapter 10, you talk about nine and 10,000 high school kids that will play in the NFL at some point. And you mentioned job versus education. I would have loved to have seen that be a longer chapter, Bobby, because um, I think we all know that if you're not educated after you leave your playing career, you're done. It's over, yeah. and you're going to be in trouble living on the streets, hoping that your skin's still on your body in five years. Like, if you're not prepared for something after this, 
You're in trouble, man. And, and I think that's yeah. the biggest part that everyone's going to have to learn here at some point. Is you better worry about your education and going forward because you're playing sports. is not going to last. Nobody plays any sports past 40. Uh, you know, of course, there's a few of the whole miracles out there that, that, that end up playing until they're 42, 44. Fine. You know, that's still only half your life. What are you going to do now? And, and, and yeah. I think that's a concern, man. What, what, do you, what do you do if your sports not only doesn't work out for you, and even if it does work out for you, you're still going to have to have a plan for the future. Yep, yep. Well, EJ, I think you said it. I mean, it, not only do very few players play until they're 40, um, but the very few who actually, you know, gain financial independence through professional football, they're the ones you see on TV every day, right? They're the ones we talk yep. about 99% of the time, yet they represent 1% of the reality. And, yep. um, and, and that's the problem. You know, I, every single one of my high school players believes they will go on to play big-time college football. And my experience yep. is, you know, only a couple do, um, whether it's athletic talent, size, speed, or grades, um, it's hard. Um, but not only do all of them think they're going on to play big-time college football, but the majority of them also believe that they will go on and play football in the NFL. And, yeah. uh, and that is, you know, a... Not going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's a problem because parents uh, start. You know, we 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 have we have parents who show up to every single practice. I mean, they are you know their kid. They they really believe that their kid will will not you know perform in high school, go on to college, and then make a living and provide for the family. And um, mm-hmm. and it's it it starts at such a young age. We're putting these kids in at such a young age, and it's all. It's all kind of connected, and that's why I divided the book into two parts. The first part is spent mostly on the actual sport game itself, you know, when we should start playing, how we can improve tackling, what sort of safety measures we can put in, what sort of rule changes we can make. And the second part is all about the culture, you know, the money in football, the, uh, the you know, trade-off of, for an education for, for football services in, in, in college, the, the questions about whether or not the NFL can actually provide a, a, a stable financial future. And, and they are the cult- – I don't think you can really – separate the culture from the sport it's just such a I and mean, it is such a great game but it's america's game but it isn't just a sport it is in fact inherent and embedded in our culture and it's a lot of those cultural things that you know starting with parents putting their kids in and setting these expectations and trying to live their own fulfilled dreams through their kids and pushing them for a big financial payoff whether it's a scholarship to high school even uh, and those are those are being given out by by private schools yes. Um, oh, yeah. uh, a scholarship to college or a lucrative NFL career. It's, um, you know, the kids need to understand that those are the outliers and that, you know, education is your best way forward. And I, I, I appreciate what you said, EJ, and I'd love to make that chapter a little bit longer. What I tried to do is add an appendix, which basically touches again on the idea that, hey, yeah. you know, a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, there's only 128 BCS football programs Yet there's over 500 smaller uh, football programs out there, whether it's at the 1AA level, Division II, or Division III mm-hmm. levels. And uh, a lot of those schools, even if they don't offer scholarships, they will offer very generous financial aid packages. And, uh, and, and you just might get a better education for it. Yep. God forbid. <laughs> so let me ask you, like, I know that you're, you're – obviously coaching and you have the book where other 
coaches can then read and, and hopefully maybe change the way that they're coaching or instructing their players. But what tip would you give to, besides just buy the book, to the coaches that might be listening to this episode or the moms and the dads who might be listening to this episode saying, you know what, love football, glad my kid's in it, but I do agree things have to change. What do I do? from the coach's perspective and from the parent's perspective? Because that's a big undertaking. One parent can't change everything. One coach can't change anything. So what would you tell them? Yeah. Well, I think from a a coaching perspective, going there first, I think, um, you know, safety is really the biggest concern right now. And and President Obama weighed in and said he wouldn't allow his, his son, if he had one, to play football. I mean, uh, someone said if, if 10% of the mothers out there said their kids won't be allowed to play football, that's the beginning of the end of football. I mean, we need, we need kids playing the game in order to, uh, to keep it growing and, and, and maintain its status as, as the most popular sport. So I think from a safety perspective, I would tell coaches that you, you really need to look at how you're teaching tackling. Um, and in our case specifically, I mean, there's a lot. Tackling is an is an art. It's it's not a science. If it were science, everybody would do it the same way. And it's and it's a hard thing to do. You know, kids are getting bigger. They're getting faster. Um, it's 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 not a skill that's 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 easy. Um, what we do uh, and how we teach and what I talk about in the book and what we do at Palmetto is we really spend a lot of time working on the approach of the tackle. Whereas historically. Everybody focuses on the contact point. They say, hey, this is how you grab the guy. This is how you lift him off the ground. This is how you drive him to the ground, right? And yet my experience is that often missed tackles um, as well as unsafe tackles are made because you arrive to the target, you arrive to the ball carrier in the wrong way. So we spend a tremendous amount of time on approach, Um, and it's paying off. I mean, in our case – we are ranked top fifth defense in uh, yes. in Miami. Uh, yeah, you know, we're 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 allowing less than sixty yards uh, on the ground per game, and uh, we've only yes. given up a couple of touchdowns. So it's working, and we you know we only introduced these drills a couple of years ago, um, and uh, and our tackling is is quite effective. So for coaches, I would say really look at the way you're tackling, um, how you how you drill it. Uh, you can go to heads out tackling.com and mm-hmm. all of our videos are there for free um you can copy them take them you know this is uh the the goal of this book and the goal of the uh, my whole goal is to just get the word out start a conversation you may not even agree with some with everything i say but let's start talking about these things and finding solutions mm-hmm. and to the parents no say, look you know it's um it's uh I, I, I just think you need you need to treat the game of football for what it is. It's a game. It's a game that should be played for fun. And if you have uh, ideas that the game should give you something more, a financial payoff, a college education, a high school education, or something else, then you're probably playing it for the wrong reasons. Um, and make sure that the, the, the team you sign your kid up for has coaches who take it seriously, who understand yeah. it's a game, a game to be played for fun. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, if you can please everybody, Bobby, imagine. 
Um, yeah. right? <laughs> come on, yeah, come on, man. Um, mini tackling guidebook in this book too. I like that, man. It's pretty cool. On, the, on top of the video stuff you're mentioning, you guys you put a little mini tackling guidebook within this book, and that's great stuff. Uh, I love the pictures. Did a good job there, man. And um, you know, let, let's talk about dads coaching and parents for a minute, or maybe we just shouldn't. Oh, Bobby. <laughs> you know, some of these dads just think, well, I played football back and I was that. I could probably teach these guys a thing or two. Yeah, you, listen, yeah. Man, you, you, you don't belong out there. Uh, and, and Bobby, Bobby, you know it. You, you know it as well, too, man. There are so many guys who, who don't belong out there who just think that they have what it takes to, to do all this stuff for, for kids. And you, Listen, man, if you're not trained in this, you can't do this. You can't do this. I, I, yeah. I think that's got to be the biggest problem for you, not only – for the parents who raise their kids a certain way, but and, and, and I don't even want to get into the on the sideline stuff that you talked about, man. I mean, I don't know how you deal with some of the comments. You must look at your coaches half half a game and just be like, I can't believe that that idiot just said that from the crowd. Like, are you serious? Oh yeah, we <laughs> you do. Know, it's Bobby, a, <laughs> particularly here in Miami, everybody's an expert. So, no doubt. But I, uh, like you just it, said, though, is if if you're if you're not trained in it, you could also even hurt, hurt the kids. Yes, because you might be yes. creating plays or doing yeah. something. bad habits that you don't know are bad habits, Bobby. That kind of stuff, you know. Then they come to you, and and you have to say, well, who taught you this? Well, my dad, <laughs> and he was our coach, and you just have to be going, oh. oh yep. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it's funny because just today I, I I posted something on my on my website and sent it out, which. Basically, I'm offering tips on how to improve them. One of them was, hey, you know, it's funny. You think about simple things like yoga, scuba diving, swimming. We require the teachers to have certifications. We require the teachers to not only have a piece of paper that says they're certified, but to actually go through hands-on, practical teaching certification. And here in Dade County, um, you do not have to go through any form of training to become a high school football coach. You simply yep. need to get your fingerprints done, make sure you pass drug tests, those sorts yes. of things, but you don't <laughs> actually need to do anything else. And, uh, and, and I just think that given that we're dealing with our kids and dealing and, and, and just given the, 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 the relatively rough nature of this contact sport, uh, we can yeah. do better than that. I mean, there should be a certification. There should be something that says, hey, I am certified in tackling. Not just, oh, I went to the USA website and I did a five-minute tutorial online and now yeah. I'm certified. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Not so much. Which is, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty great, man. I, I love your high school quote here, man. It is better to have died a small child than to fumble the football. I mean, thank you. That, that, <laughs> I love that quote, man. After I read that, I was like, all right, this book's going to be cool. Yeah. <laughs> and it, was, it is a great book. It's a great book, man. We, we, we can't thank you enough for sending it to us. And, uh, of course, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show and hanging out with us and talking about it, man. I, oh, thanks so much, Of course, Bobby. Uh, you know, we loved it. Uh, it's just, you know, all the stuff that you put in here is actually quality information. And a lot of coaches, and even if you're not a coach, even as a parent, you should be knowing, knowing the things that you're putting in this book. Even you know, if, if your kid even shows concern or interest in football, this is the kind of book that you that you should have in your house. And I honestly say that, Bobby. With, I'm, I'm serious. Well, thank you, EJ. I appreciate that. And and uh, yeah, you know, I'm really really pleased at how well it's being received. And uh, yeah, like man. I said, hopefully this uh, you know this continues the conversation. 
Yeah. Well, we want to tell our listeners the name of the book again is Tackling Dummies, Playing Amateur Football Smarter, and Bobby Vernon's the author who's talking with us. And Bobby, how do people get the book? Uh, so they can go to uh, Amazon.com or BarnesandNobles.com, um, and hopefully soon in uh, local bookstores. I'm not sure exactly how long that's going to take, but in the meantime, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, uh, or you could go to my website at BobbyVernon.com. Nice. And you also have a Twitter. Um, do you want to give that out? Do you want people to follow you there as well? Sure, yeah. I'm at, at Bobby Vernon. I'm relatively new to social media. I've only been doing it for uh, about six t- I, I resisted it for a long time, and uh, the uh, the publishers told me I had to do it. So uh, so I'm doing it. I'm having fun with it. And uh, uh, but yeah, it uh, you know it's it, I'm at at Bobby Vernon, and uh, um, I think if you Bobby Vernon tackling dummies, you can find me on all the other ones as well: Twitter, uh, uh, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. I just became your 88th follower, man. Congratulations. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, I was up to like six, like three months ago, so I'm feeling good about my trend. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Just don't forget to use hashtags, like hashtag football, hashtag sport, hashtag, and then you'll start getting a lot more followers. But that's awesome. want to wish you a lot of success with the book, and thank you so much for coming on today. And, um, you know, if you have anything else coming up down the road, feel free to call us or email us. Let us know. Come back on the show, okay? Awesome. Thank you so much, Lisa, EJ. It was a real pleasure. Yeah, Thanks, Bobby. Bobby. Have a good day. See you later. All Thank right. you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Very cool. That's very cool. Man. I'm sorry. Between Deshaun coming on here and Bobby Vernon coming on here. Oh, yeah. That's a great way to get kind of get ourselves back into this. Obviously, like I said, we said I've been away a little bit here the past couple of weeks enjoying some Bill Walkie and some Wisconsin sunshine. Yeah, sunshine. Was, a little chilly. It was chilly. It was nice the whole week. It was just, I mean, yeah, it was a little chilly, but, uh, you know, but if you're in Green Bay, at least we're not going there in like three weeks from now because a November 5th game or something like that would have sucked. Because <laughs> we, were, we were pretty cold that game day. It was just 45 degrees game day, and we were like, ah, boy. Because yeah. when there's a 15-mile-an-hour breeze and it's 45 degrees, Obviously, anybody who's in the north knows that that sucks. <laughs> it just goes right through you. It's just yeah. ah. But we were comfortable the whole game. Everything was cool. That was a game. That was fun. That Green Bay was a blast. And before we say goodbye, I just want to let everybody know that over the next couple of weeks, we have some really awesome guests yeah. coming up. Ready? Um, next week, our one and only guest will be the one and only Mobile. So he'll be joining us next week, so please tune in for that. Um, he's here. We're going to talk baseball. We're going to talk clothes, so figure yeah. that out. And uh, <laughs> number 42. He's the last one to wear number 42 for the Red Sox. Yep. And the following week, we have former NFL player Edward Smith coming on. Hey. And um, we also have coming up um, our Hall of Famer, Andre Reed, former Buffalo Bill, oh, will be stopping by man. as well. So we got some good names yeah. coming up for everybody. Oh. So if you are not tuning in to Sports Palooza Radio, Come or you know somebody <laughs> that's not tuning in to Sports Palooza Radio, please let them know about our show, and, and uh, we'd love to hear your comments. DJ's <laughs> cracking up in the background, which is usually how we usually end the show. That's how we roll around That's here. how we roll around yeah, here. So I want to thank everybody. I want to thank our uh, guests for stopping oh, by. Yeah. We talked cricket, and we talked football today, and uh, it was it was a blast with everybody. You can find us on Twitter at Palooza Radio. You can go to our website at radio.com. That's sportspalooza.com. 
Um, and you can find EJ at EJ the Rainmaker, and you can find me at Gal Sportswriter or Virgin Traveler on Twitter. Uh, please follow us again. Let us know how we're doing, and we will be back here next week with Mo Vaughn. All right, Mo Vaughn, she said. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, the rivalries that, that I mean, uh, Mo Vaughn, this could be fun. Obviously, you know, being a Yankee fan, back in those days, Mo Vaughn, I used to hate that guy because he, he could hit the tar out of the ball. He was always scary. I mean, you have your Mo Vaughn, number 42, coming to the plate. It was just like, ah, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> he was great, man. I mean, was, yeah. you feared him. I mean, there were many pitchers out there today who probably say, yeah, Mo Vaughn came to the plate, and I pretty much had a little bit of uh, pee running down my leg. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that. All right, let's get out of here. Um, again, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in this week. We'll catch you next week uh, for Mo Vaughn, and uh, we are out of here. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.